A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And there was this really strange feeling, um, a confusing feeling, because I, I, I didn't want to celebrate. Day one. <sighs> Tough going. I think the minute you stand still is the minute you're dead. Day two, um, 48 hours done now. Uh, three full days down, 72 hours in. Four full days in and I wanted to get Day five. Uh, our five days done, sorry, going into day six now. Maybe it's been bred into me, but I've always had a, a curiosity to, to explore the world. Day 56, eight weeks, done and dusted. Mood is good, spirits are high. Day 43, done and dusted, actually. Day 32, done and dusted. Anything and everything is, is achievable. Yeah, this is going to be fucking epic, man. This is only 24 hours in, and um, yeah, it's tough. My name is Damien Brown, and welcome to Deep Roots. So here we are, the final chapter in an epic tale. And as aligned with what's gone before, it doesn't end simply. <laughs> but to tell that story, I have to go all the way back to the opening chapter, basically, when we were in La Gomera and um, we were getting ready for the race. And one of the last days before we are let row out into the unknown, we have a meeting about the finishing procedure with the duty officers, the safety officers from Atlantic campaigns. And they, um, you know, during this meeting, they talk us through the management of that finish because it's, it's not simple. You know, you're coming in from the West, um, but you have to get to the south of the island and um, there's all sorts of things that can go wrong as you can imagine the, the most dangerous part of ocean rowing is when you're around land so um, taking into account that 95% of the people who are sitting in that room listening to these duty officers have never rowed an ocean before um, it's, re it's, an, it's an important I suppose 
It's important information and there's a reason they're giving it out. That being said, as, a, as important as it is, I really struggled to concentrate on it because there was so much unknown and there was so much kind of to focus on before you even got to that. Like I'm, I was thinking, yeah, fair enough, lads. I understand this is important, but fuck me. Like what? Like, I don't know what's coming at me here. I'm struggling to even think too far ahead. I need to figure out just getting away from uh, the marina here and uh, the difficulty that poses and staying out of the way of the ferry. And you guys are talking about something that could be 70, 80 days away from me. So I was not in a concentrated state and I wasn't really taking it in. And I also knew that like, well, there's two other ways here. Like I, like I have options around when I get to Antigua, like I have the sat phones. So I'll be in contact with you. I'll be ringing you, I'll be talking. I'll be getting you to, as Denzel Washington says in Philadelphia, talk to me like, I'm a five-year-old here. Explain this to me really, really, really simply. That's what I, that's what will be happening. And I also have this laminated sheet that you guys are handing out, which is the finishing point by point by point finishing procedure. So, you know, my engagement wasn't where they wanted it. And I felt that that was fair from my point of view. Anyway, back to this final closing chapter and I have no sat phones because the two I brought, one for friends, one for dedicated SIM card uh, sat phone for friends and family and one for um, the duty officers exclusively, uh, I had lost over the previous two or three days because um, we'd had that low pressure storm system roll in and the weather had just been horribly wet and like squalls and rain and um, I had dropped my SIM card for my friends and family when I was changing them in and out because that phone was um, playing up uh, and I'd, I'd, I'd lost that phone basically to the, the moisture and then um, the duty officer phone there was a there was a kind of conditions or maybe even rules of the race that you had to be available between i don't know i can't remember one and two every day and that phone had to be on and within reach and i had been a bit lackadaisical around that because i hadn't felt the need for any kind of you know that i needed their advice or they you know that they needed really to hear from me because i was so far away and i was just churning away and you know whatever that you know if that was right or wrong beside the point that's what I did so um towards the end of course now I'm thinking well I you know these guys have actually they've had a word with me here around this and they've gently kind of given me a bit of a nudge to say you know you, you need to be on that phone more often grant so that meant I was bringing it out on deck with me and with these squalls rolling in all the time I um I obviously had to protect the phone and one of those days I'd um put it into the food compartment the cubby hole beside me uh, unbeknownst that at the bottom of that was a big puddle of seawater and I had left it like because it was um, these things are quite broad and where I had left the foam was on top of the food that was in there but you know I, it had rolled down to the bottom you know as just during the waves during what the waves do to the boat and at the bottom there was this um, pool of water that fried the thing so then you know a few hours later when I went to grab it I realized 
it's fucked. It's gone. So that was the second sat phone gone. At the same time, I realized, not at the same time, sorry, much earlier than this, I, I realized that I, I never picked up one of those laminated sheets, never brought it with me, hadn't been handed it to me or hadn't, whatever, gone out of my way or I'd left it somewhere along the, the you know, leaving that meeting and getting back to the boat. So that, <laughs> that wasn't there. Um, now I had, so no laminated sheet, no, um, sat phones, but I did have one other way to contact, um, the duty officers, which was through my, um, iPhone, which I just had to connect to the, the began, which was a broadband satellite uplink, which was the uh, unit, um, the, that I was using to send back video diaries. Now, there was one thing keeping the sat phone alive and this had been relying on this since probably the 20s I think and it was this flimsy charging cable that was getting flimsier and flimsier by the day and had taken a lot of kind of work to keep it alive in terms of scraping mold off the the nodes and then like it, it had been fraying at the end and fraying and fraying and I, I don't know how it stayed alive this long but it had done right up until day 62 when it died on me so um on day 62, I realized that the battery that was left in the iPhone was the very last of it. And I hadn't touched the phone because of the wet conditions. I didn't even make a personal video diary on day 62. I'd made one early on 61. So there was nearly 48 hours before I even chanced making a in a new video diary, which turns out to be my last one, which I make on day 63. So have a listen to that and um, enjoy. And welcome back to Deep Roots. And welcome back to the last episode, episode 25 in season one. Hi guys, um, day 63, um, about 50 miles from Antigua. She's somewhere there. Uh, I haven't actually made even a video personal uh, diary because uh, uh, battery life is low and to be honest those last few days the conditions were uh, they were grim and they were so wet I, I couldn't even open the phone there some days and couldn't even put my hands near it because the last thing I need now is a, is a lot of diaries that, that's on this phone to be lost so um, unfortunately I missed a couple of days but what can you do um, I have 14% battery life the charger's dead miles from Antigua and um, I need to think I need to use this phone as my sat phone because I lost two sat phones to, to the wet conditions um, last, uh, like I said, the last couple of days. So, so to say it's stressful is, um, yeah, it is a little bit stressful considering uh, I'm not too sure on the procedure, the finishing procedure. Like, you know, uh, I know they tall, 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 when you've got 60 plus days of rowing in front of you, Somebody's telling you about the very end. I don't exactly concentrate very hard, but I didn't do it. So, um, anyway, yeah, that's me for today. But here, listen, I'm nearly there. 50 fucking, 50 fucking miles. <laughs> uh, come here, I'm loving this. Like, look at this. It's just so beautiful. It's look how blue the sea is, and the, that air on my back, and oh my god, the warm air. I'm gonna miss it. So I didn't make a video diary on 62 because of, you know, those concerns that I had that 
no sat phones now this is my one resource to contact the duty officers um the charger's dead so the battery life i have in this um is finite and who knows how close to antigua i will need it so that has to be reserved also everything was so fucking wet like my hands were wet so even opening the screen was really difficult you know with the the touch sensor on the iphone so like i i, I tried a few times and i realized like the the the, the more time my wet body and hands hang around this phone the more chance it is of that as well as the two sat phones getting fried uh, and then i had all these incredibly valuable video diaries that i had um, made and documented my experience and my journey with and i felt some of them were really important not just to me but they would be to other people and i would like to share them in some way and finally yeah, three years later, I found that forum or that um, platform to do it through this podcast. But at the time, I was thinking in terms of a documentary. Yeah, that decision was made to obviously not touch that um, iPhone to make a, a daily video on 62. And eventually things dried out a bit on 63. You know, you, you hear me talking there about the, the conditions because I'm outside at that point making that video and they're they're back to that beautiful warm um, Caribbean air um, and the um, the sunny day but I did make notes is what I'm trying to get to uh, like the last episode so they say 62 numbers 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 crunching numbers all day to figure out when I'll arrive pushed hard to wipe off a few miles that would send me into the early hours of the morning that's actually something my brother-in-law said to me that I he well he, he said um geez you accelerated towards the end and I actually didn't feel like I got faster I felt like I was just kind of being consistent and putting in that 12 hours work every day but uh rereading these he could well be right maybe I did speed up over those last few days because I I was conscious that I wanted to get in if I could in daylight hours rather than the middle of the morning um and sure enough it seems like reading these back that um I, I put in a little bit extra work and, and 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 I was calculating ahead to make sure that I would get in in daylight hours. And then the last note on 62 was stressing about entry with no sat phones to contact DOs. And that's really the linchpin of this following 36 hours. So after I made this video, you know, on day 50, um, I was on 14% battery life and I said, as I said, the charger was dead and that was my one resource to contact the DO. So I did make that phone call and I did eventually talk to Lee Fudge who, or no, I, I think I messaged a guy called Ian Couch who was back in the UK and I and then E and, and then Lee, there was two of them, and then Lee, who was based in the Caribbean, got in contact with me through the iPhone and we had a conversation and he gave me a GPS coordinate to hit on and to um to aim for, which is a waypoint, um, which was the waypoint to give to all rowers. Now that waypoint, when I put it into my GPS, was on land. And this will become important a little bit closer to the end as you'll see but when i looked when i kind of zoomed in as close as i could on that waypoint uh, on the screen of the gps the map screen of the gps it was it was not just 
the edge of land. It was, you know, quite a bit into land. Uh, and as we know, I was having issues with my GPS all along. So there was there was always a discrepancy between the GPS coordinate or the GPS bearing and the compass. So now here was another bit of information telling me that the GPS coordinate or the waypoint that I'd been given, okay, there's something up with this GPS. How can the waypoint that the duty officers have given every rower for the last, I don't know how many years, let's say the last seven or eight years of races since Atlantic campaigns have been doing it beyond land. Now, this was after talking to Ian, or sorry, Lee, and, you know, I, I, I couldn't question it with him. Anyway, continued rowing, and the first side of land was 35 nautical miles from it. I was doing a lot of neck craning, and finally, with 35 miles left, I saw light. I, it was the middle of the night, and I could see the light pollution from Antigua. So that was a huge boost, as you can imagine. Finally land, I see it. Um, and the neck craning became a lot less. And then it was just a, a case of a bit more rowing and then getting a good block of sleep and then back up for um, the final push into the island. And one thing Lee had said to me is, Lee Fudge, the duty officer, he said, when you get inside 20 nautical miles of Antigua, you can contact ABSAR, Antigua and Barbuda Search and Rescue, uh, through the, the radio, what the hell is it called? The VHF radio. So that was in my mind. So I was waiting for that point um, to to get to that point within 20 miles. And the minute I did that, I was going to get on and just, you know, make contact and let them know that I was there. So sure enough, within 20 miles of Antigua, which was, which there was two kind of moments that, that two things that that meant. The first one was that I actually had a visual now on land. It was like, I think about five o'clock in the morning. Uh, and I could first, for the first time, I could just make out land, um, and the second thing was now I could contact Absar. So I went in and tried to contact them, but uh, it was five o'clock in the morning and I wasn't getting into through the VHF radio. So I wasn't too bothered because like, I mean, I've still got 20 miles to go. So that's kind of half a day's rowing as far as I can, um, if my calculations are right, considering my average speed. So like I've got loads of time to contact them during the day. So I continued rowing, rowing, rowing. So 20 miles, finally see land, finally, right? There it is. Um, and for, I would say, at least the next 16 miles, that land did not get one bit bigger. <laughs> it seemed like I was going nowhere. I had to go in and check that I was actually making ground at times because like that one reference point was staying the same size for hours and hours i was like am i going anywhere here at all um still quite stressed because the gps coordinate of course was on land right and now as i got closer to land i could start to see that there was this big now coming in from the west here i could start to see that there was this big kind of line of a sea wall and there was waves crashing on it so eventually around four miles from Antigua. I got in contact with Absar, told them where I was, gave them my coordinate, 
and they gave me the same waypoint as Lee had head to this point and I'm like but that's on land that's what I'm thinking here to myself now I see that these waves are crashing against this sea wall right I start thinking to myself I've not come 3,000 miles to put this boat on a sea wall so I'm like okay well you know you have to get round to the south of the island so why don't you just row to a certain point that you're comfortable within the distance of Antigua and then head south from that and when you turn that corner then you head west again because of course the, you know the fear is that like I've come this far I mean, I've, this has been the fight of a fucking lifetime, like a, a lifetime of challenges in 63 days. I'm not going to fuck it up right at the end. All I see is these big um, explosions of white as the waves hit these sea walls along that western edge of Antigua. So that's what I do, right? That's the plan I make in my head. So I'll head into, I'll head to a certain distance um, because... I'll head to a certain distance from the island and then I'll stay there and I'll just head south and then once I turn that corner knowing as well as this that Absar send out a rib you know send out a boat to guide you in so I'm like I'd be grand like so Absar will come get me and they'll bring me in you know I'm just I'm staying away from that seawall so I'm row, rowing, rowing, rowing and I stay well out now well out from the um, the wall because um, or the the coast because another thing with this as a, a first time ocean rower you are kind of drilled into you, you know that the most dangerous thing is um, the most dangerous part of ocean rowing is around land that's where things can really go wrong you know that's where you can get washed up on rocks and that's where the wind can just grab you and you have little to no control to stop that so that's what I'm thinking, right? Um, or that's my kind of belief that's there. So I'm like, I'm, I'm just not taking any chances here. This is too big a thing. So I head well out. I stay way, well out from land, you know, but with a decent visual on it, but like nowhere near as close as um, I, I eventually figure out I should be. So I'm rowing away, rowing away and still no sign that the Absar ribs still know I'm getting closer and the coordinates on the GPS are telling me I'm like, whatever, two miles, a mile and a half from that finishing point. Eventually, I see this boat coming towards me and it's the Absar rib and they get to me and there's kind of a an urgency to them and they're like, fuck, um, we couldn't find you there for ages the the pilot of the rib says i'm like all right yeah and he goes you're miles out and i i mean what i was like what do you mean he goes you're in danger here you need to row due north immediately i'm like what do you mean he goes you're in danger missing the island there's all sorts of like acceleration currents between the islands and he's like I have, later I find out he tell uh, I don't know if it was him who told me or somebody told me that he reckoned if I'd gone another mile half a, I can't remember half a mile or a mile something like that another bit south that I would have probably missed the island and have to be towed in uh, which would have made my crossing kind of I don't know a an assisted crossing yeah anyway you know, I pick up on the urgency in his voice and um, turn the boat due north and just put the hammer down like I just row and row. 
at a stroke rate I would say is probably 10 above what I've been doing if not 12 above what I've been doing per minute so I reckon I'm probably sitting generally at about 18 strokes a minute maybe 20 strokes a minute and I was up to 30 and it was uh, for this period and I rode for 20 minutes straight as they kind of circled around me and just gave me the odd you know you're doing good you're doing good like you know but I suppose they were they were watching um they were watching their coordinates and just trying to get me as close to land and I couldn't believe how close they actually pushed me you know into because I'm looking here at fuck I'm like getting really close to these rocks but these guys are telling me this is the thing to do and sure enough when I did get really in close to land things just completely calmed down the sea state calmed down and, and it wasn't the stress at all of being pushed onto rocks you know you're in a safe place but I I couldn't I couldn't decipher that from way out you know I didn't this was and this was not a risk I was willing to take or a chance I was willing to take without I didn't have the information by not being able to get in contact with the duty officers so um and I I remember he eventually I was like I was proper stressed like in terms of like the rowing you know because this is after (laughs) you're asked to perform um to a really high standard after rowing 3000 miles and losing so much weight and then you actually have to put in some real concentrated effort so i remember been like the 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 lactic acid and the fatigue i suppose more than anything um coursing through my body and i kept kind of looking at your man going sure he's going to tell me now any minute i'm safe like i'm i'm out of this um danger of getting uh, swept between the islands no, no. So I, I like, I, try, I go, I'm go, I'm go, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. And then the odd time I'd look over and wasn't getting anything from him. So I was like, Jesus, I'm getting tired here. But eventually I got in and it totally, like the sea state just totally calmed down and it was in this nice sheltered bit. And he goes, you're good now, mate. He just continued down around and then he said, you'll see the finish line. And sure enough, uh, he was right. I, um, another like, 10 minutes or so and I met Manny and Gemma Manny from the first support yacht um, who's been working on the race for donkey's years Uh, they came out to meet me and they were the first people and then there was this kind of flotilla of um, locals that kind of they come out to meet the the rowers coming in so there was people on everything from like pedlos to stand-up paddle boards to smaller ribs to i don't know i'm gonna say there was about 20 or 30 people kind of came out to along with manny and um and eventually i um he guided me in i didn't even turn my neck like he was like yeah just a bit on your left a bit on your left side yeah swing the boat around a bit more on your left now on your right straighten her up yeah now just keep that line and you're going to pass between the boys and there's these two boys that um mark that official finish line i've crossed the atlantic and and there was this really strange feeling um a confusing feeling because i i i didn't want to celebrate you know, um, even bef- even before I made like visual and verbal contact with Manny and Gemma, I I, w- I wasn't in that like oh, I can't wait to fi- I can't wait to cross this line and just explode. Like I I didn't really know what to do. I didn't feel anything. There was no urge inside me to act a certain way. I kind of just wanted to be left alone if that makes sense or because the 
pictures you see are these explosions of joy and you know flares and smiles and emotions like flowing through people aggressive maybe emotions and um emotions of relief and um and i didn't feel any of that and that was really confusing me that that was like that wasn't coming true why isn't this coming true this is the the moment and you're not you're not linking with it it's not here why isn't it here this is what everyone does but it's just not what i felt in that moment i I crossed the line and I dropped the oars and I just wanted to float. I was, I was there, I I had done it and I just wanted to take a moment to take that in and geez, even now I get a bit emotional thinking about it, but I just wanted to give myself that moment to do what my body and mind and spirit was telling me to do and just sit there and float and I remember slumping my head over and Manny was like do you want a flare have your flares ready and I was like no I'm not into that I'm not I'm not bothered with the flares I'm just happy I have my flag here and I'll I'll get up with that in a minute and I sat there and I I did just float and I let that wash over me and I, I gave myself that moment to try and like absorb it how how can you absorb something like this in that moment but I don't know it's just what my intuition was telling me to do and I I'm very glad I trusted that and took that moment because then after that I I, I felt something I was able to link on to that and I was like alright now now you can do what everyone else does so I eventually stood up and Manny gave me a, a flare and I didn't bother opening my own because I'd left them right down deep in the deep in the back um, underneath my bed like the furthest place and, and I yeah so he gave me one because I, I wasn't you know I was happy enough with the flag but I'm glad now looking back on the photos that you know I accepted it and I have some amazing like memories and photos from that moment where I did get up and I did eventually let all that um emotion out you know the emotion of the relief of achieving what I wanted to achieve and the emotion of persevering through that fight and the emotion of um the the dream had finally become a reality and I had approved to myself that I could do it and you only know then and there that's the only time you can believe it all you want but until you go and do it um that's all that matters so I took that moment put on what I would say was a little bit of an act but it was one I'm glad I put on and then I sat down again and uh, the weird thing or the I suppose the the funny thing with this is you've officially crossed the Atlantic but you still got another 15 min- minutes of rowing to get into um, the final um, docking point and then that's where kind of all the other boats uh, I think I don't know if they're given a a kind of direction around this but maybe 
maybe they are but then that's where they kind of come around you and some of them came up to me um, I remember three guys in this kind of pedlo thing came up and gave me a, a Peroni beer they were from a local restaurant and um, as I rode in and then I heard it was either that a boy brownie in an Irish accent or fair play brownie and I obviously triggered the Irish accent straight away and I looked up and I was like fuck me I, there's an Irish guy here on a, a rib on his own um, and he's yeah I, I didn't know him but I was like Jesus Christ we get everywhere and that guy knows me as you know what a lot of people call me I was like fucking hell this is unbelievable and then there was the odd person would come up close and just say well done and um, I kept rowing and I was chatting a bit to Manny and Gemma and they were kind of guiding me in and as you come into it's a place called Nelson's Dockyard in Antigua it's absolutely stunning but there's all these fucking super yachts you know um, like billion dollar things you're absolutely disheveled um, you know probably have food in your 63 day old beard or more than that 70 day old beard and you know you're I was in a little pair of undershorts, bicycle shorts, and <laughs> there's all these super yachts and there's their crews out on deck and they're blowing their horns as you come in. And then, you know, <laughs> Manny's like, be careful not to hit that. And you're looking up and you go, holy mother of fucking God, I haven't seen Enton in, you know, Enton really in the last uh, nine weeks. And then you're faced with these billion dollar things. And about 15 minutes later, I... um I kind of come right into the end of Nelson's Dockyard, take a slight left and then the boat kind of drifts a bit and I look up to see, like, cause I'm very anxious to see who is there in terms of friends and family. Like I had a good idea that who was going to be there, but like um, I saw this little pocket of green over to the left and I fixed on it and I saw my brother and uh, that hit me like a ton of bricks. Jeez, emotional wreck today. But um, because I didn't think he was going to be there, I I had an inkling um from something my parents had said during one of our conversations because he I knew he'd gotten injured with his shoulder. He was in the middle of a season and he was playing for Connacht. But uh, mum and dad had said he'd been injured um on his first game back from his Achilles injury. So I thought, oh well, if it's bad, <laughs> he actually might come to the Caribbean. But I I didn't want to believe it, and there he was. He was one of the first ones because of his height. And then, you know, I saw my parents, brother, sister, brother-in-law and a couple of friends and uh, I just wanted off that boat. I just wanted off that boat. So I, Manny kind of said to me, I was looking at Manny um, going like, how do I bring this in here? And he goes, don't worry about it. We'll just push it in that last like couple of meters. And I just got up and then um, grabbed the Irish flag and lifted it over my head and again let the emotions out um and eventually the boat slid in right into the dock and when it, when it was in about within half a meter i was like okay i'm out of here <laughs> the oars are in the water just dragging along and i was like i'm getting off this fucking thing and I, as i was doing that the the guy who runs the ceo who runs the race a guy called karsten um I could see that he wanted me to stay on the boat like he was he was about to say no no stay on but I was like nah I'm out of here and uh my right foot so he, he had he had um 
he had uh, hit me with some champagne and I'd opened my mouth. So there was a bit of champagne on my face, champagne in my eyes. And at the same time, I'd made the leap. And once my right foot hit the ground, it just like it didn't know when it was going to hit the ground because I I had like, you know, I, 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 I was missing that bit of proprioception from being on land. So when it hit the ground, it was a surprise to me and I kind of buckled and I nearly fell back into the water and he grabbed me with somebody else. I think maybe Lee was there and they grabbed me and kind of just made sure I didn't fall in. And then there was kind of my eyes were stinging from the champagne and my dad ran to me with um, a tissue and he... Um, he gave it to me, you know, I wipe, and then I was able to wipe my eyes and I hugged my dad and then um, and then there was a bit of a kind of pull from the organizers, you know, to kind of do the do the thing, which like is a, a picture. I wrote the Atlantic sign and again, there was a little bit of fright. Let's let's give them something here. So I remember I just gave this fucking massive roar like with the um with that sign that's you know they give you this kind of i want to say tarpaulin that says i wrote rode the atlantic on it and i gave this massive roar into the cameras and then there was a bit of some pictures with the irish flag but then i was like just wanted to get to my family you know so uh, my mom came over and uh she said um i'll never forget this because i was like oh geez i'm gonna break this woman's heart but she was like never ever 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 do that again <laughs> and I kept thinking oh, well I'm not going to tell you right now but for the last week I've been thinking about rowing an ocean again and, and and I have an idea about another one um and then my brother and my sister and uh you know hugs all around and then Colin and Maeve who Colin had helped me an unbelievable amount during the whole campaign back in Galway he'd come out rowing with me sometimes he was really involved and it was great to have them there and then there was another couple of friends Mike Byrne from the UK used to be my sponsor in Northampton Saints had come out and oh it was beautiful it was beautiful and then some of the other rowers who'd been got in before me the Atlantic ladies were there George was there uh, George had finished four days ahead of me in the end. Um, the Atlantic ladies had passed me out over that last period. Um, Eli was there from uh, the Antiguan team. Uh, Chris was there from the um, Team Noble, the Scots guys who had, Chris, if you remember, had sent me a couple of text messages that had really been touching earlier on in the piece. So, And then there was some of the Welsh lads were still there, Big John. So it was, it was you know, I got to share a little bit with them but and then the crowd was there was a huge crowd well a huge crowd there was a, a nice crowd of people around and you know everyone wants a little everyone wants a little bit of you and you feel you feel a bit strange you're sitting there you're a bit of a kind of um circus monkey kind of just like and you know but you just everyone's just staring at you like oh look looking at you what are you gonna do kind of thing and you're like oh, right um but i never had that like people always ask me you know what's it like um that reintroduction to kind of whatever life you know when you get back and I never I never struggled with that in any way I always I found that really easy you know I didn't even it wasn't even some a concern of mine or it wasn't even something that came up like this is a bit weird apart from standing around like a monkey when they're doing the kind of they're uh, introducing you and 
you know to the crowd there's a bit of a um, closure of the event you know but um after that few chats few interviews and then with few chats with the crowd and one interview with the um, atlantic campaigns but then you get the brought over to this little quiet spot and this was a lovely moment just with family and friends and um they they give you a cheeseburger and fries and a beer and then ted the guy the photographer ted who took some of those photos uh who'd been out on the absar rib as well um he brought me a fresh coconut and you, you kind of get left to your um you know your family then after that and you get to chill out um now my leg like i was all over the shop with walking you know every like three or four steps i would my my equilibrium was all over the shop and that's something they never tell you at the at the start like that when when you get to the end that your legs aren't going to work basically because you have um you, they call it land legs so you know you don't have your land legs yet you, you know you're used to being on this kind of constantly bobbing and moving object so so there's there's a bit of dash you know as you're walking around you just take a few stumbles and i think my family get briefed that morning before i come in so i i noticed that they were kind of ready for my stumbles like they were almost in uh they were almost like in the slips in cricket, like, you know, ready to catch you if if and when you did kind of move offline. And that that didn't take long to go away. Um, that kind of, I suppose those, it didn't take me long to get those land legs, two or three days and you feel grand. You're not, you don't feel like you're, there's any risk of you kind of falling over or, or kind of falling out of the direction you're going and, you know, whatever onto it whatever moving traffic or whatever i did see a doctor that was one thing i was very keen to do and they take some measurements and weight and and i was kind of waiting um waiting for my opportunity to say okay no doc you have a look at my arse like you know because i've had these fucking sores and they've been destroying me for the last whatever six weeks um and I said it to him, uh, yeah, I think right at the end, I said, uh, he was kind of ushering me out like, that's all, we're just going to, we just took those um, me- uh, weight and measurements, blood pressure, whatever. And I was like, what what will I do with these sores? And he goes, oh, don't worry, just have a shower and get them dry and they start to clear up. And I was like, surely it can't be that simple. Surely this pain and discomfort I've gone through different waves of it, but sometimes excruciating surely it can't be as simple as just having a shower giving them a good scrub and then drying them out and drying them out and guess what it was (laughs) i would have never ever ever guessed that when i went through like day 43 day 44 when i was at my lowest point that that's all that like that is the kind of um, abilities of the skin to uh, regenerate and um, heal itself it was absolutely extraordinary okay there was a little bit of like tenderness sitting down but once i got them dry uh, for a few days but once i got them dry they were they came good really quickly um i used to have when i got up in the mornings that first week uh the whole room would be swaying like and this took about a week to go away like the whole room i'd have to sit on the bed and then let the swaying stop to a certain 
point and then to get up to go to the bathroom I'd have to hang on to things so I'd like be grabbing the backs of chairs and and whatever uh, tables and lamps and to kind of maneuver my way to the bathroom eventually after 10 or 15 minutes that would totally subside Um, the rest of the day would just be uh, the only kind of over a hangover I had from the row was a bit of sensitivity from to sit down um, if you're sitting on something hard and then my fingers I couldn't really use my fingers like I couldn't hold a knife and fork I couldn't open door handles with my hands you know I'd have to use my elbows um, to kind of push down a door handle or if it was a kind of a slide thing you know I'd have to use my kind of shoulder and just slide it to the I, it was very difficult to um yeah I just couldn't use my fingers and and that was the that was the thing that lasted the longest it took about I'd say it took about four months in total for my fingers to be totally um pain-free stiffness-free I have absolutely no um side effects or no um no negative sensations in them uh because of the row so that was the thing and I probably wouldn't have guessed that um if I'm being honest but um overall that last that you know that time in Antigua um was a really really beautiful time um to spend it with my family and to see you know when I arrived to see how much it meant to them you know to see them all incredibly um emotional and um, I suppose proud and then over that next week you know to see how um, close we were like that is some of the happiest memories I could wish for like that makes it that like that fills it all in that completes the whole um, campaign for me 79,000 raised for charity like that's important you know achieving my dream that's really important but like to see that and to spend to see how much it meant to my family and to see how close we were for that week and to see how it bonded us and brought us together and um like that filled it all in that made it like an incredibly important and valuable thing to do and um yeah i'll never forget that week and that's it folks i hope you enjoyed the story i enjoyed telling it i'm very happy i found a a way to tell it in a deep long form format um i hope you took something from it maybe it even inspired you in some way and like anyone can row an ocean honestly i I totally believe that and you might have no interest in rowing an ocean but you can do anything with your life if you take certain steps And that's kind of what this proved to me again. It just reinforced to me again that like, I had no no background in this thing, no fucking experience, no seamanship. It's unbelievably overwhelming at times, bringing it all together, 
trying to get funding, trying to decipher this language of ocean rowing. I mean, you're you're pulling away going, I've no fucking clue what's coming at me, but um, I made it across and I proved um, to myself that I could row an ocean and um, anyone can row an ocean and anyone has, everyone has their ocean to row. Uh, and, you know, you can do it with certain steps. So thanks for listening, first and foremost. And I do hope that this format of Deep Roots can be continued in the future. I do have some big plans in terms of expeditions. Um, Most of them over the last year have been wiped out and I have... um, trepidation that that's going to happen again but right now there's a chance I'll go to Everest in about uh, 10 to 12 days and that will be if that happens I'll be doing a small series from there what I would call like a dispatches series where I'll just share you know the days or every few days with you and how things are going and that kind of in the moment share the adventure and then when come back then we'll do a, a longer form episode and our longer form series on that and I suppose the good thing from my point of view is that I'll be able to kind of it'll be much fresher it won't be like three years old two and a half three years old and um, I'll be able to kind of take in information to to really delve into the the kind of details of that story uh, and hopefully like you know the, the aim is it will be a successful story that's what I'm, I'm going to try and do moving forward then there is there is other adventures of course on the horizon so hopefully you'll stay on board and we can uh, yeah just expand this thing into a few different series because uh, I am very very driven to continue to live this life that gives me so much this life of adventure and this life of exploring internally and externally and um and this is a great way to share it so thank you very much again um full of gratitude for your listenership i know that um there is many competing factors and I don't take it lightly that you give your time to listen to this and I hope you got something from it. If you'd like to support the show, just the usual, subscribe, like and share. This, that, that's, the, that's the thing above anything else I, I would love you to do. If you feel it's something worth sharing, just share it with your friends somebody you think might be interested through your social medias that's that's what's going to get people engaged your nearly your kind of testimonial that um this was something you enjoyed this was something that gave you entertainment uh, on some level but also gave you food for thought maybe even gave you some good insights or some valuable information that you are using and actioning in your own life and and, and that's kind of the point of what I'm doing it here. I'm not doing it for the, a shallow reason of telling just a story of how I got across the Atlantic. I want to share my 
trials and tribulations, my weaknesses, my um, successes, my strengths, how they've come about, my philosophies, my beliefs, the reason I do this thing, like that I believe so deeply in uh, and that I get so much from and, and, and that is worth sharing so others can use that um, to use that in their own lives and whatever comes from it great so thanks and feel free um or i would really appreciate if uh, if that's something you got uh, that you would share it signing off thanks again cheers catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.